1: Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing Esports and video game law. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, so all the information is for educational purposes only. That goes for both myself and our amazing guests. So with that said, this week's guest is Vita Cruz. Vita is the Associate Counsel for Gearbox Software. Gearbox Software is a video game developer and publisher Queen being a developer of the popular Borderland series she also operates power up books where she reviews various books, including video game ones. Prior to this, she was the founder and CEO of Cherry Bomb Media Group. Thanks for joining us
2: Hi Justin. Thanks for having me
1: My pleasure so to start you know tell us about your past eSports and gaming experience. what was the first game you played, and how did you kind of get involved in the business side of the scene?
2: yeah, for sure so Uh, I recall my first video game was Super Mario Bros. on the NES and Duck Hunt. I remember I had the orange laser pointer, uh, the gun, and super fun times. Um, As to how I got involved in esports and the video game space, well, I've been playing video games my whole life. Yeah, it started with the NES, but I transitioned into the N64, and then the GameCube, and then the PlayStation PC, and when I started playing on PC, that's when I got introduced to the world of esports because i picked up a little game called league of legends and it <laughs> absorbs just a life. little game
1: right a couple a people little, play it
2: yeah just a couple right like back then I, I remember i joined in season two and the community was it was really fun because everybody was like really about the game and it was a little toxic but it wasn't like too crazy it's crazy to see where it's come like how far it's come now where you have these huge tournaments and huge prize pools and the cinematics in the actual LCS tournaments are crazy. So, but yeah, no, I started playing that when I (laughs) broke my leg in my freshman year of undergrad. And I was like, well, I'm staying in bed all the time. What else can I do except play league for like (laughs) seven hours a day? So yeah, that's what I was doing. And that's how I got introduced to it. And, um, It wasn't until my last semester at law school, actually, about two years, two and a half years ago, that I realized that I I needed to be in this space. Like I needed to be a lawyer at a video game company because it was the perfect mix of my passion and the work that I was doing. So I'm just really grateful that I got to find a job right out of law school at a AAA game studio. Gearbox!
1: Well, yeah. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit. So, you know, tell us kind of about what your role is like. What are some of the stuff you're responsible for? And, you know, this question I always get, what's the difference between a game publisher and a game developer? And is there a difference? (laughs)
2: yeah so well first let's start with the company uh some of our games are borderlands you may have heard of it uh tiny tina's wonderlands that's coming out soon in march so that's going to be awesome been working that's actually the first game that i've worked on from start to finish at the company so it holds a very special place in my heart um as for gearbox publishing we've published risk of rain 2 tribes of midgard godfall and so many others and we're working on so many deals that are in flight um Day to day. So working as counsel at Gearbox. It's basically eyes glued to a computer screen. So we're reviewing contracts, we're drafting agreements, we're answering uh, legal questions from other departments. Uh, We're dealing with outside counsel for IP, such as, like, trademarks and copyrights, mostly. Um, Also working on bigger projects, like developing uh, in-house legal solutions for common game dev problems. So an example of that is, like, an asset review program, where basically we're making sure that whatever is in the game is properly licensed and has passed all the clearances. Um, But I've got to say... The best part of working as associate counsel at Gearbox is getting to play a video game for work to catch those legal issues. Because sometimes you have to be like playing the game to find these things. It's not enough that you get sent a picture of an asset in the game. You actually have to see how it interacts with the environment and how the player would interact with it to get a sense of are there legal issues here? What could they be? So, yeah, that's definitely my favorite part.
1: Interesting. So kind of fleshing that out a little bit. What are some kind of legal issues that are encountered when you're developing a game you know I know you mentioned you kind of have to play to see what things might come into play so what are some of those?
2: Yeah so making sure nothing is infringing on others others IP is a big one. Um, we want to make sure that uh, we're not putting in especially uh, for litigious, Companies, We want to make sure that we're not stepping on any toes because, you know, Borderlands is, for example, Borderlands is a franchise that loves parody and it's funny. It's great. Um, but sometimes we do have to uh, kind of reel it back a bit with some of the references and also making sure that middleware is properly licensed um, so that there's no issues with that. Making sure everything is attributed properly in the credits Um, those are just a few. There's so many others. Cause when you think about actual, like the actual game, yeah, those are issues. But when you think about like, like you just asked my day to day, I'm dealing with every department. So I'm dealing with HR questions. I'm dealing with finance questions. I'm dealing with just general business questions. So it's very fun. And, um, I forgot to say that the difference between a game publisher and a developer is basically that a developer will literally develop the game. And a publisher will pretty much front the money for that game and then take over the actual selling part of the game. That's typically how those deals go.
1: Okay. So essentially you could be both the developer and the publisher or, you know, kind of one or the other usually.
2: Yes. And actually, Gearbox is both. So we have Gearbox software, which is how we started uh, developing Mm -hmm. games, starting all the way back from like, you know, ports of Halo and Half-Life DLCs and stuff. And then now to where we are, which is we have a publishing branch, which publishes those games that I mentioned before, like Risk of Rain, Um, but also exploring the idea of publishing the games that we create. So we would be the developer and the publisher.
1: Interesting. So are there you know some similarities and differences in the legal issues when you're kind of acting in each role, like as a developer, there's certain things to look for, out for and then as a publisher and then when you're kind of acting as both?
2: Yes, definitely. So on the dev side... Typically, we'll worry about, you know, making sure nothing is infringing, uh, everything I just said before. The publisher will also worry about those things, because even though it may be written into the contract that the developer will indemnify the publisher in the event of anything happening, any kind of lawsuit, um, at the end of the day, someone's going to be paying the money, and we don't want to fracture the relationship. So we, it's in our both of our best interests to make sure that all of that is properly managed. Um, but as for... The differences. I want to say that although the goals might be aligned on money, we all want to make money on the games that we make, and we want to create something that's really cool and leaves a legacy. Um, sometimes developers can take a while to develop a game if they want to, because you know there's always something that you can polish a little bit more. There's always something that you can fix a little bit more. But the publisher might be more interested in getting to the market quicker to start earning the money sooner. Uh, so sometimes we need to maybe create an amendment to manage those expectations and account for those delays and like the milestone schedule or needing more money or, you know, things like that.
1: It's interesting. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that, you know, the outside world doesn't really understand where it's like, you know, there's all these things that go into development of a game. And then there's like a whole nother stage of actually publishing and marketing and promoting it. And, you know, it's like, that's only half the battle is creating the game. Cause if you create a game and nobody hears about it, or if it's not, able to download it or purchase it whatever did you even make a game
2: did you even make a game it's true and i feel like that's part of the plight of indie devs where yes you can make your own game and yes you can put it up on steam and you know see if it gets sales but i think the great advantage of having a publisher is that you have a lot of resources at your disposal to make sure that that game sells well because both parties are affected if the game doesn't sell well so that's where i'm saying like the goals are aligned, yes, and yeah. There's some differences between you know the, the things that each respective party cares more about, but at the end of the day, we want to make a cool game, and getting it to market is really important to do that.
1: Definitely, and and I think that's one of the things that you kind of highlight of you know working with you know one of these AAA publishers who's doing it at this high level, and you know some of the indie world that really just. Starting out there and really learning some of it where, yeah, they maybe are really, you know, have a great idea of a game and what they want to do with it, but maybe they don't even know how to get it to the right people. And, you know, that's where having kind of the specialty of both worlds that it seems like Gearbox has puts them in a unique position.
2: Right. And honestly, I feel like it puts me in a unique position too as the lawyer because I really do get to see both sides. I get to see the legal issues that arise in the developer front and then the legal issues that arise on the publishing front. So I have a very 360 view of how a contract will play out with both the developer and the publisher. So it's easier to anticipate what they're going to say. And if it was the reverse where we are uh, developing a game that someone else is publishing, I would have the knowledge to foresee any potential issues there. So it's, yeah, Gearbox is awesome.
1: Awesome. So is there anything that kind of surprised you that maybe, you know, as you started to work on some of these deals that you're like, oh, wow, you know, this is interesting to me.
2: Yeah. Um, I realized that it's actually a lot of people skills and I know that lawyers require people skills given that you're in a service industry and you're helping clients. Um, but I literally talked to, virtually every department about legal issues that pop up so not only do i get like the 360 view of like publisher and developer but also as a corporate lawyer getting a really um how do i say this
1: like learning the inner workings of a company, like a major right, corporation. Right, right. From
2: every single angle and being on the field working on it. Because from my understanding, you know, bigger, way bigger companies may have legal departments that are very specialized. So you'll have like the IP lawyer and then you'll have the employment lawyer and then you'll have this. At a company like Gearbox where the legal team is three, two lawyers and a legal assistant, it means that you really are on the ground. And you have to talk to everybody to get the information you need. And yeah, sometimes we get outside counsel to help with things. But a lot of it is on the ground and figuring it out. And yeah, it's it's an adventure every day.
1: That's amazing. I think that's one of these things that, you know, is probably the best advice that people give is like, you know, you have to kind of get in and, and doing it and learning it is the best way to learn anything. You know, I think that's one of the things that, you can only read so much in a book or learn in a class until you actually apply that in the real world and see how it plays out. I don't think you really ever truly understand it.
2: It's so true. And if I could offer advice to a law student that's interested in this space, try and take as many hands-on courses as you can. So for example, I had one course where it was like contract negotiation and drafting, and it was, we are looking at contracts and we are redlining them. And it actually is the same exact thing that I'm doing now. So finding those classes that would help you bolster those skills is great and getting hands-on experience with it.
1: Definitely. So let's kind of change gears a little bit. So tell us a little about power up books. What is it and kind of why did you start it?
2: (laughs) Well, I started it because I love reading and I think there's so much that we can learn from books, so many nuggets of wisdom. And I wanted to start cataloging the books that I read and uh, taking out those nuggets of wisdom and putting them in writing so that I don't forget. Um, So, to merge my passion with video games and books, but also to help the concepts solidify themselves in my mind for a longer amount of time, I notice that if I, I take something that I love, you know, video games, and then I pair it up with something that I'm learning about, whatever is happening in the books, it just helps me retain the information better. And it makes for really pretty pictures because I have like a huge collection of video game stuff and being able to put the two together, the, my book collection and my video game collection is Passion project, and I really love it. Um, Why did I start it? In addition to everything I just said, I also wanted to share what I learned with other people because I feel like in some books, there's some stuff that's really useful, and the kind of recommendations that I do are based on what people who are looking at the page might be interested in. So I try and take a book and then think what video game would somebody be interested in if they read this book. And it's a little more difficult with the personal development books, but Find a way to make it work. Um, but yeah, it's really something that I love doing.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, you know, passion projects are always very exciting. So what's <laughs> a book you, you recommend for anyone kind of starting in the video game legal field or even just the video game business?
2: Um, Well, besides your book, of course, which I very much enjoy, The Essential Guide to the Business and Law of Esports and Professional Video Gaming, I never read an esports Hashtag book. No, ad. My- Hashtag ad. Hashtag <laughs> ad. No, I never read in a book that was so in tune to the eSports side of it. So it was awesome, awesome, awesome to read it, uh, the law and the business side, because honestly, in eSports, business and law are constantly uh, interacting. And to get a 360 view of business and law in a book is awesome. So that was great. The other book that I always tell students or anybody, honestly, that wants to get into the industry uh, to read is the first one that I read, which was actually video game law, everything you need to know about legal and business issues in the game industry. Um it's a very concise yet uh very mm, a, a nice overview of the video game industry as a whole and specific aspects that you might want to look into such as it talks about IP it talks about virtual currency it talks about uh loot boxes and like gambling stuff with that um so it basically touches on a bunch of topics that are in the video game industry and then expands on them but in a way that anybody could read it it's not got uh geared towards just lawyers. It's geared towards any dev, honestly.
1: Amazing. So this is a little bonus question. So if <laughs> you could write a book, what would the subject be? You know, I don't know. I know reading is one thing. But what about writing? Is there something you feel like is kind of lacking that you'd you know really like to kind of impart on the world?
2: It is so funny you mentioned that. I didn't wasn't expecting this because I'm actually writing a book. Um and I'm in the process of it because I really want to share how I got to where I am today. And I think I learned a lot along the way and I'd love to share that. So One of the hallmarks of that book that I'm working on is that you got to think outside the box when you're trying to network because it's not always going to, I mean, especially in the video game industry, you think about law school and you think about the kind of networking events that they offer and it's for more traditional forms of law, which makes sense. That's fine. Um, But when you're talking about video game law, and especially when you're in a place that doesn't have too many video game law resources at your disposal, you got to get creative. So networking in the industry and finding creative ways to meet your future mentors, um, because you honestly, you never know who in the entertainment industry knows who. And especially with how much like transmedia the video game industry is now participating in. You see movies coming out of video games and video games coming out of movies and blah, blah, blah. There's so much opportunity So getting creative, I think, is the best way to go about it and thinking outside the box.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I kind of noticed coming from the more traditional entertainment world is Mm -hmm. just so many similarities between them, whether it's the legal or business principles or even, like you said, just the colleagues that are working together where, you know, as you kind of go up the ladder, the people that are doing stuff at a high level are kind of all working with each other and kind of have a similar vision. And that's really how you know they are real.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because in your book, you mentioned that um, agents for esports players may resemble Hollywood agents in how they do their day-to-day and how they go about business dealings. And it's it's curious because, I mean, I think esports, I would think, oh, does it have something to do with sports talent agents? And there's obviously lots of similarities there, but Hollywood is so important because you're dealing with an IP at the end of the day. You're dealing with a video game that could be shut down tomorrow. So there's a whole other branch of issues that you'd have to consider when it comes to, uh, esports and who, you know,
1: yeah, I mean, I always kind of use the example in the classes I teach about, you know, H1Z1 and how mm-hmm. you know, that was a huge title and there was a whole league that was launching and all these, you know, teams put in money and signed rosters and they were about to launch. And then out of, you know, then comes Fortnite, then comes PUBG, <laughs> then comes Apex around the mm-hmm. same time. And it was like 91% of the player base of H1Z1 just evaporated overnight. And the league and the scene and all the players and coaches and everyone that was a pro H1Z1 player, well, that was that. And, you know, like you said, like if a show gets canceled or a movie goes straight to streaming instead of motion pictures or straight to DVD, which could be even worse. (laughs) It's just there's so many things that are infringed on that and how it affects, you know, your monetary output under these deals.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know for sure. It's it's definitely an interesting space. I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows and how the legal space around it grows too.
1: Yeah, and I definitely think that, you know, as you're probably seeing in your day-to-day, it's a very interesting dynamic. And, you know, as the publisher and the person that owns the rights, as we know, that puts, you know, that company in a huge position to determine how everything is based on the, you know, the underlying IP. So if there was, say, a Borderland movies or TV show, the publisher whether or not they're the movie studio they would have some involvement in it and the marketing and what it looks like and maybe who's cast and mm-hmm. you know that's just like a really interesting thing. that's not really how it is in other areas
2: yeah yeah it's definitely a unique space
1: um so tell us what about cherry bomb media group what is it and what's some of the past stuff you had done there
2: Yeah. So Cherry Bomb Media Group was a social media company that I had started back in law school while doing my MBA. And I decided to get the MBA because I wasn't feeling law school too much at the time. Now I see it very differently. I see all the worth that law school really brought to my life and my career. Um, But back then I was thinking of changing career paths and going into business. And at the same time, I was working at the Launchpad, which was a area at UM, University of Miami, where entrepreneurs could come and, and discuss their startup ideas. And then we would help work, on, work with them. We would help with their pitch decks. We would help them talk through marketing issues, uh, any potential legal issues, anything like that. So I got the bug. I got the startup bug. And I was like, I want to start my own company. And I wanted to do something that I knew how to do, which was social media. I had been doing cosplay for a while. So I was very familiar with Facebook and Instagram. And I just wanted to help basically people with their personal branding and optimizing their social media presence to gear them up for like business or clients, a job, et cetera, whatever. Um I've worked with an award-winning filmmaker, I've worked with an Olympic athlete, I've worked with a vodka brand. There were several people and companies that I had worked with basically trying to give them a voice on social media platforms and make sure that their target audiences see their content and are interested in what they have to say or what they do or what they have to offer.
1: That's awesome. I think that, you know, it's a really unique thing that, you know, you kind of started out trying to look at this more traditional entrepreneurial path and you kind of see how it overlaps. Is there anything that you kind of, you know, learned from this experience that you're kind of bringing as a lawyer at, you know, a video game developer?
2: Oh, there's so much. Not, uh, okay. Uh, The literal part that has helped me the most out of cherry bomb media group has been dealing with the current influencer contracts we have at gearbox, because now I have a very strong understanding of what the other side wants the influencers, what they want. So it's easier for me to anticipate issues and respond accordingly. Like our influencer contract that we use in house, I drafted it from scratch because I had a clear understanding of what both sides want, but also what works better uh, for us. So that's the, part where it helps a lot in my day to day. But besides that, honestly, starting a company requires a certain degree of courage. It's not just the money that's required in like, you know, registering the company um, as an LC or whatever, uh, the initial investment of maybe starting up a bank account, uh, getting a PO box, like those kinds getting of a
1: things. website, like, getting a logo.
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, I tried to do as much as I could by myself, like creating my own logo. But you know, at some point you have to be like, all right. I need a professional. Um, But yeah, it requires a certain degree of courage. And it means having an idea and executing it. And I really do feel that when you start your own company, you got to be scrappy and you got to figure things out. Uh, because nobody's gonna do it for you. I mean, maybe unless you're in an incubator or something, but even then, nobody's gonna do it for you. You have to drive your idea and make sure that it comes to life. And honestly, that's exactly what I'm trying to do at Gearbox, you know, get those ideas and then have the drive and courage to make them happen. Like I did with uh, the extra life charity event that happened uh, last year, which was awesome, by the way.
1: So tell us about that event.
2: Oh for sure. Oh my god, extra life. So I started doing Extra Life uh back in undergrad when we I was part of the video game club and it's basically a charity that raises money for children in hospitals. And one day a year you play video games for twenty four hours straight and you stream it. So I did that uh two years ago where I streamed myself playing for twenty four hours. It was very exhausting. Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know, uh, energy drinks. <laughs> but also having a, an interactive audience helps a lot because they kept the chat going and they made it fun and exciting at 3 a.m. So yeah. Um, but then, so I did that two years ago and I didn't do anything in 2020 or 2021 because COVID and stuff like that. But then this year, or sorry, no, 2020, I didn't do anything. 2021, I was like, wait, there's an opportunity here. Uh, we haven't done extra life in a while at Gearbox. What if? I was making my team right like I usually do and then I realized what if Gearbox could make a team like what if we could have some kind of event because you know, obviously you know Gearbox has more uh, uh, eyes, eyeballs on their channels than I do so like what if Gearbox could do something that's really great you know raise money for a good cause and it's literally in our wheelhouse we play video games we all make them so why not? And I brought up the idea to our chief communications officer and he was down and he, you know, uh, assigned a uh, team to work on it. And it was awesome because I got to be in on those meetings where they were coming up with the assets, like the stream overlays. And we were coming up with some of the guidelines that we might have to think about when you're streaming and, you know, making sure we're keeping in line with Twitch's community rules. Um, All up until the actual day where we streamed for 10 hours and we raised over $7,000. It was awesome so awesome
1: amazing well good job to everyone over there at gearbox you know we we always like to help all these different organizations i know i've done some stuff with gamers outreach so nice. all all these organizations that are doing great work we thank them i love um, it i love so, it yep. so yeah so kind of bringing this towards the end what's some advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports and video game world
2: so for anybody trying to work in the video game business one word and it's Network, and I know everyone hears it all the time, but I really can't stress how important it is to network because once you're in, you're in. As long as you don't do something absolutely terrible, as we may see in the news sometimes, and you make a bunch of friends along the way, they're going to help you out. They want to help you out. So go to events, you know, see, I, I think meetup.com, I used to use back like three years ago, um, but Eventbrite, like any of those kinds where you can find out events that are happening, just Go. Meet whoever you can because you never know who knows who. And then for anybody trying to work in the legal side of the video game business, one word is big network because in this space, it's pretty niche. The video game law business is pretty niche. Everybody pretty much knows everybody. So I do want to caution people that it is it is a small one and word does spread fast, so... Just, just be careful. Um, But yeah, networking is really so important. Just meeting people in these industries, and it may seem like a long shot at first. It may seem like, man, I'm in this, you know, this town in the middle of nowhere, and there's no esports or video game stuff anywhere. How am I going to meet anybody? That's where you get creative, because you don't just have to go in person and meet people. You can do this online, Twitter, LinkedIn. You have so many resources at your disposal. But literally, thinking about how, like, the most creative, out of the box way you can network is going to help you in the video game industry.
1: Definitely. I think that's one of the big things you kind of hear. It's, you know, you know, not to sound generic, but it's like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And yes, you know, it's one of these things where having to be in these opportunities, whether it's at your school network, you know, joining the school club or trying to have internships with teams or event organizers, or even starting your own event. Like, you know, I Mm -hmm. always kind of think about this where it's like you want to work for an esports team well start an esports team see what it's like to actually operate one what it's like to have a coach make a logo put up social media posts mm. sponsor tournaments you know actually you operate it so then if you want to work at a team be like hey well i started this organization this is some of the stuff we did this is some of the games we competed in and you're already in a different light than 90 percent of the other people applying
2: and it's so true it's you so know. true. And I think at, to piggy off on that, something that's really important is that when you're doing those awesome things that you just mentioned, make sure that it's visible in uh, across whatever platform you think that your target audience, which is probably a video game company or like you know an esports team or whoever, can see it. Because if you're doing all these awesome things but you don't tell anybody or let them know, then they will never know. But if you make it visible to the right people, that'll get you in the door.
1: Exactly. Where it's like, You know, you have to kind of push this where it has to be kind of part of who you're doing. And if you kind of, you know, do it on the side and it's just like a side passion, that's great. But you're not going to be able to move it over to become like, you know, your main occupation.
2: Yes. Agreed.
1: So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and video game industry?
2: (laughs) That I get to be a part of the game development process. Like I'm in an industry I absolutely love with an absolute passion doing all this meaningful work at a company that really values me and all I have to offer just as I am. I mean, I don't know what else I can ask for. Like it is awesome to be able to play video games for legal reasons. I can't stress that enough. That's awesome.
1: Amazing. So I can definitely hear how passionate you are about (laughs) it. So that's always exciting. It's, you know, these entertainment industry jobs are, you know, they're fun. It's cool working as a sports agent and, you know, working with big athletes and musicians and all this stuff, but it's also a grind. It's also stressful. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting to see how you're able to, you know, kind of balance it and really embrace it.
2: I will say um, something to help with, because there are days that I find myself working a lot, and that's that's fine i don't mind it because i love the work i do but sometimes you know I, have, I introducing like the reading and playing actual video games and for example for me i go to karate in the gym just having those outlets to help like bring you back to man i don't know how to say what i want to say bring you back to neutral i don't know <laughs> like yeah, exactly. balance you out a little bit exactly. yeah yes yes
1: Awesome. Well, you know, thank you so much. To conclude, what does the future hold for you in this space? You know, I heard I know you mentioned you're working on a book. Is there anything else you got working on?
2: Uh, yeah. So Gearbox is awesome, as I've said before. And it's very common for people in Gearbox to move departments when they want to try a different area of game dev. So obviously I want to keep doing awesome things in the legal department because, hello, that's what I studied and I do enjoy it. But I also want to do more. I want to do different things. Um, I already did, uh, you know, got in the mocap suit with all the little dots on it. And I got to like see myself move my arms and see the character moving their arms. And that was so cool. Like, I would actually love to do that and put it into the game. Um, I want to voice act. I want to be part of the creative writing process. Maybe finally put my creative writing degree to use. (laughs) I just want to get the most 360 experience of the game development process as I possibly can before I leave this earth because I. I can't say it enough. Like I, I literally love the video game industry. I love video games. I love video game history and to be a part of it. It is so freaking cool. So I just want to get as much as I can out of this job and out of this experience.
1: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you want to make a game star in it and write it. So, <laughs> you know, uh, and you know how, you know, the legal stuff. So you're definitely, you know, now you just got to learn how to code and I think you're on your way.
2: I need to learn how to code and like probably multiply myself like three times so that yeah I can have people helping. But yes, video games are awesome.
1: Amazing. So, you know, I like to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch?
2: Favorite game to watch? I mean, back then it was League of Legends. And if I'm being honest, it would probably still be League of Legends now because that's probably the game that I feel like I understand the strategy the most. If you, th- if you show me like an Overwatch game, I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, he's shooting and they're pulling off all these crazy plays. But with League, it's like there's so much strategy in it that I got accustomed to over 10 years plus of me having played the game.
1: So yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, what's your favorite game to play?
2: Oh, to play? Let's see. All right, I'm not... I, pro- I promise I'm not biased, but I actually very legitimately enjoy... Borderlands because I get to play with my friends and I feel like a badass while playing it and not only is it one of the games that we're working on but I started playing that game back in 20 I think 14 and it was just one of those games that really brings you together with your friends and um, especially during uh, lockdown in 2020. Are, like, I was feeling pretty lonely. But I had my friends to play Borderlands with, uh, Borderlands 3, so that was really awesome. Also, I like to play Splitgate. I like to play League on occasion. Only Rams though, because uh, <laughs> otherwise I get stressed. Um, but yeah, besides that, uh, I also enjoy games like Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing. Just, like, relaxing, chill ones.
1: Amazing. So who's your favorite video game character?
2: chun Lee. No hesitation. Okay. Chun-Li. great. <laughs>
1: amazing so you know thank you so much for joining us this was extremely insightful so I'll tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you
2: for sure so on instagram and twitter i'm and twitch i'm at gym leader vita, at gym leader vita. and then on linkedin you can just look me up my name is vita cruz um yeah those are my my social channels and i really look forward to meeting other people who are interested in the space
1: well, thanks, everybody, again, for tuning in. And I'm sure that you're definitely going to get some people interested in what you're doing because it definitely sounds amazing. So <laughs> make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.